Well, thank you guys. It's very unexpected, but um, I appreciate you guys. I love this place. Oh, so many good things to celebrate. As Ashley mentioned, the, the painting is underway. It's, uh, it's so fun to, to see uh, just each day coming here and seeing a little bit more getting painted. I know if you look on that side of the building, the street side, some of the white started to get painted around the trim, and it's, it's really, really fun to see uh, all the new things come together. So again, thank you to everyone who, uh, who calls this place home, who is generous with their resources and, and faithfully gives. The, we get to do a lot of fun things around here, not just for us, but in the community. And I really, really just appreciate everyone who, who gives and supports the ministry here. So thank you so much. Um, we're going to continue, uh, our, we're going to finish our series on grace today. You can turn your Bibles to uh, John chapter 1. Uh, but before we dive in, uh, were any women here at the conference this weekend? All right, that was just, uh, that was a fun, fun conference to, to see and be a part of. I know that there was lots of ladies that came and put countless hours into prepping. Um, Donald and Max and people that were working on sound and tech, there was lots of time that went and lots of changes last minute. But it was so fun to see so many ladies come together and, uh, and have a fun time worshiping and being filled and then just all the people that served to make it happen. So can we just give a round of applause for everyone that helped to make this thing possible? It was really fun. Um, it was, uh, the, the speakers were great. I got to uh, hear them on Saturday. And then we all got to hear Jen this morning, who I was telling, I was like, why doesn't she just come preach this morning? Like, wow, that was, that was really, really awesome. But there, there's so much good going on. And I love when people can get together and really get in tune and hear and be moved by what God is saying. And there, there's nothing quite like seeing the spirit move in a place. So um, I'm excited to, to continue going on and seeing what God's going to do today. Now, back when we uh, started the series, we talked about grace and truth. That was kind of our, our launching pad. And, and I want to talk some more about grace and truth today, but we're going to revisit that and throw another word into the mix. We're going to say grace, truth, and peace. Grace, truth, and peace. Who here could use a little bit more peace in their life? Right? And I mean, just almost anywhere you look, we, get, we can turn and see something caused by turmoil. Right, whether it's something in your personal home, um, a family member doing something that, that just rocked your world, a friend doing something that rocked your world, a social media post, the government doing something that rocks your world, just anywhere we look right now, we can get so overwhelmed with just, man, I need peace. I can just get, you get anxiety thinking about things. I know that I was looking on social media and um, someone that I know very well, his posts were just, it was, man, it was, man, this is going on, this is going on, this is going on, this is going on. And, uh, and I asked this person, I was like, hey, what's going on in your family? It was like, that's not even important right now. Don't talk about your family, talk about the world. It's like, oh, man. And I don't think it's a coincidence that I had that conversation with him as I was talking, getting ready to talk about peace. Because even in that conversation, I felt myself start to get worked up. And I was like, okay, here we go. We're going to go on social media, we're going to make some posts, and it's going to be war. Didn't go there. Didn't go there. Tried my best to defuse the situation. And this person and I are okay, you know, we're, we're all right. But, but I could see, even in that moment, it was like, all right, God, I need peace. Something else happened uh, yesterday that I found out about. We have the new sign out there. Um, if you drive by at night, you see we got lights installed to illuminate the sign. One of the lights got stolen this week. I found out yesterday so I walk into the women's conference, and they're, 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 uh, Lisa Hansler was speaking, and she did a great job. And then I find out someone says, hey, the light was dark. I think something's wrong with it. So it's like, okay. So I walk over there, and I see that it had been ripped up. It's cord cut. It's gone. Now I'm fuming. Look, I'm walking back to the church just like, oh, my gosh, who, has, who stole from the church? Who does that? You broke. You didn't even break in. You went to the sign, and you broke in. I'm overwhelmed now. I'm feeling like my blood is boiling. I walk in, and they're singing worship. It's like, 
Okay. Okay, here we go. <laughs> but God immediately put me in check. And in that moment, he told me, it was like, it was just, I heard him clearly, like, Dustin, calm down. I, you need some peace right now. It's just the light. Everything's going to be fine. There's so much more you can get worked up about than just the light. Everything's going to be fine. And so God told me I needed peace. I needed grace. I knew the truth. Somebody stole the sign, and I wanted to catch him. But I needed grace and peace to go with it. So grace, peace, and truth. How do these three now balance each other out? How do we get all three of these things knowing that as humans, it's kind of like, okay, we're going to go, we can't go 50-50-50. Do we go 33-33-33 knowing that Jesus was 100 of all these things? 100% all these qualities. How do we spread the love of Jesus using all three of these things? Well, John 1.14, as we dive in and talk about it, John 1.14 says this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now, in these days, we, we find people arguing over the truth all the time, right? What is your truth? Uh, one of my favorite lines from a movie is, I know my truth. I know my truth. And the world's going to know my truth, right? People have their truth. Um, you can look on social media and people will argue their truth. This is what I believe to be true. In politics, people will stand up front and say, this is the truth. And then you find out maybe it's all of it or some of it. But in the moment, that's their truth. That is their truth. Whether you choose to watch whatever news network it is, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, whatever it is, you'll know that one you feel is your truth. The other one is not the truth. And what's the phrase that we now throw out when we, we hear news or something that's not real? Fake news, right? That, that's become fake news. You can look at a network and say fake news, and that's actually become the, the spoof of funny memes, funny videos. Someone says something you don't like, you can say fake news, fake news. Uh, Jeff Melvard told me his fantasy team was going to beat mine today. I was like, fake news, right? <laughs> totally fake news. Not going to happen. I'm already beating him convincingly. So, dude, don't worry about it. You're losing. <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's news, there's fake news. If you were to say... Three weeks ago, at this point in the season, the Niners would have a better record than the Seahawks. You probably would have said fake news. It's true news. There's lots of things. We all know our truth, and we all know what we want to call fake, right? But, um, and on that note with the Seahawks, thank you everyone for last week. Um, last week was my birthday, and when I went out to my car and saw that it had been uh, defiled with Seahawks stuff, I, I honestly, it was funny. I felt loved and appreciated. I had a lot of fun with it. So thank you guys for making uh, last week for me really, really fun and special. And um, I know people won't rat each other out, but um, Jamie used paint on my windows. It was so hard to get off. And then I don't think it was car paint. I think she went into the closet and was just like, Seahawks. Just... But I finally, my car is back to just being a dirty white car and not a um, defiled dirty white car. But thank you guys so much for all of that. But when it comes to speaking grace and truth, People go to incredible lengths, incredible lengths to promote their truth, to say, this is what I believe. We can turn posts citing online different news sources, different scientific or political experts. We can twist things to say, this is my truth. People go to the extreme. But sadly, even in today's world, and not even just today, it's been happening all throughout history, there, were there are people that go to the extreme to promote their truth. There are nations and religions and groups of people that will go and in the name of their truth, they will hurt and kill people. People go to the extreme for their truth. The opening of John's gospel reminds us what is special about Jesus. I like that it says, he came from the Father full of grace and truth. 
You see, in Jesus, grace and truth are joined. You can't have one without the other. They are there together for the long haul. They work hand in hand. And from Jesus, we can learn something today about how to walk in the world today, how to speak in the world today through grace and truth, and ultimately now, as we'll hear, with peace. Now, we're going to learn from Jesus the power of the message spoken with peace and how that really does alter and add another amazing element into his message of grace and truth. Now, some people emphasize truth, some people emphasize grace, but I think Jesus showed us that apart from grace, we can't speak the truth. And apart from truth, we're not really speaking words of grace. The peace of God will come when grace and truth are joined in perfect harmony. When these two things come and you see God's heart for what you're going through and God's heart for where he wants to take you, that's when you get to start to understand what the Bible calls the full peace of understanding that can only come from God. Not from things of the world, it only comes from him. It's a perfect example. In John 1.16, he continues with words of grace. He says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Some translations will say one blessing after another, but I love that this one, the, the NRSV says, we have all received grace upon grace. I think John was searching for a way to communicate that God's grace is multi-layered. If I walk with God for 50 or more years, I can discover things day after day, week after week, year after year about his grace and how it's going to work in me. And I can look back and say, wow, every single lesson I learn is a new layer of God's grace. I will never get to the point where I think I understand it all. But it's so deep that if I ever look at it, it's just merely, what is God's grace? That's my ticket to heaven. If I stop there, I'm missing so much more. I think there's so much further up we can go with it, so much further in we can go to it. I don't want to come to to the shores of God's grace, dip my toes in and go, and got it. Okay, moving on. You don't want to do that. You want to, it's it's like when you go to the beach. I love the beach. I I love going and and having my kids play in the water, and I love reading a book on the water, and I love getting on a paddleboard and pretending that I'm good at and falling into the water. It's, It's a lot of fun. But when you go to the beach, what do you typically do at first when it's time to get in the water? You test it, right? I mean, very, the crazy people just, just run full speed and go nuts. But most people, you know, they run in and they, they get their toes wet. And then you get a little further in and then you get a little further in. And then once you start feeling everything, then you're all the way in the water. But if you want to experience all the fun that comes with like water sports and being at the beach, you've got to get in. You've got to be able to take whatever you want to do, whether it's your, your boogie board, your surfboard. Um, someone invited me to go windsurfing with them. It'll be my first time ever. It's going to be ridiculous, but it's going to be fun. But I know that if, if I want to do these things, I've got to get in. I've got to go. I can't just put my toes on the water and say I'm surfing. I've got to get on the board and get out there. God's grace, I think, is the same thing. You can't just put your toes in the edge of it and say, I've experienced all of God's grace. There's so much more when you dive in. When you drive by the mountain here in Washington, sorry, sorry, I said it wrong, what I've learned. When you drive by my mountain here in Washington, it's beautiful. I love seeing it on a clear day looking at the mountain. um, Something my wife and I say all the time is, can you believe that we live here now? This is so beautiful. But that's only part of the mountain. When you get closer to it and you start to experience everything the mountain has to offer, there's so much more than just a drive-by view. It's really, really cool. Grace is so much more vast than just punching that ticket into eternity. It's just the tip of what we get to experience when we really dive in to when we let God literally consume our life. I think one sure indicator of having a closed mind or literally closed mind is the firm conviction that we've got this Jesus thing figured out. So you know what? We've got this figured out. Someone says, how's your walk with Jesus? Good. Got it figured out. Everything's gravy. Perfect. 
There's so much more. I don't think, I know me personally, I'll never have it 100% figured out. There's so much more to dive into. I'll never think that I've learned it all, and I'll never get to the point where I don't think I need to fully embrace the grace of God. Because if I do, then I'll know I'm, I'm sure taking the truth equation totally out of it. The religious, being religiously closed-minded, is, it's only interested in, in exploring and, ex, and exporting, you know, proclaiming your brand of your truth, your procession of spirituality. You know, when you argue to say that you've won, say, that's your point. I got this. There's no other way to look at it. But instead of arguing, I love to get to the point where I get to discuss scripture with somebody and say, hey, I get to experience Jesus. I get to discover that it's impossible to drink from God's grace if I'm doing nothing but telling others how to live. I need people around me to challenge me in grace and truth. I need to experience other people's peace in life when, I'm in, when my life is in turmoil because that's what God builds in his community in a grace, peace, and truth-filled community. James 4, 6 reminds us this. It says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And you may right now be going, oh my gosh, he said this verse every single week. And I'll say, oh my gosh, guys, I'm saying this verse every single week. This is a big one. This one rocks me every time I read it, especially when you start talking about what grace means because he gives more grace. He gives more grace. He gives greater grace. He gives all the more grace. And I think that James, if you read through the book of James, I think he's really speaking from experience. See, James was written to a group of people and it really is like a modern day Proverbs. James is one of those no-nonsense books where he just says it as it is. There's, you can interpret things, but there's not a whole lot of room for saying, well, I think he was saying this because James just says blunt truth so much in his book. And I love that he gets to the point. And I think he got there because he was experiencing the grace of God in his life as he probably had to learn to humble himself again and again and again, especially knowing that he was the brother of Jesus. Can you imagine how that conversation went? Scripture says he didn't even believe Jesus was Jesus until after he rose from the dead. Can you believe your whole life, like James is just like, oh yeah, there he is, son of God, self-proclaimed, son of God. Then he raises from the dead and he goes, oh my gosh, he was right the whole time. <laughs> he really was telling the truth. He had to eat some humble pie, a big humble pie. And now he's talking about the grace of God. When we humble ourselves, we position ourselves for a greater grace. And when we humble ourselves, we create an atmosphere of peace that allows Jesus to speak the truth, filled with grace and filled with peace in our lives. I love how Paul opens up all of his letters. He opens them up with the same greeting. 13 times Paul says, grace and peace to you. 13 times you'd think that he thought this was a big deal. Grace and peace to you. Whether he was writing to the people of a church or his true son in the faith, like he called Titus, or even he was writing to discuss the difference between slavery and brotherhood, his blessing was always the same. He always said, grace and peace. This was a big deal to him because he was a man who was on the opposite side of peace for so long of his life. He was waging war. And now his message is grace and peace. Some people may think that this is just a formality, but these words, even if just a formality, these are breathed out by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the New Testament, I love that. If we believe all scripture is God-breathed, even the greetings, this is God-breathed scripture. When, when Paul is saying grace and peace to you, that is the word of God coming to your life. If Paul could write a letter to you right now, he'd be saying the same thing. He would say, to the Bowers family, grace and peace to you. 
to the Tang family, grace and peace to you. To the White family, grace and peace to you. And know that when Paul says this, this is not just a, hey, good morning, that you may read an email. This is the word of God coming to your life. Grace and peace. Man, he greeted everyone in this manner. It's so important, grace and peace, that Paul felt that need to start it out immediately before he went into, and some of his letters were scathing. I mean, some things he says to the church in Corinthians are, you wouldn't think they're for peace. He, he rips them apart for some things that they were rightfully doing wrong, but he still starts it with grace and peace to you, and then he gives them some truth. He knows, though, how important grace and peace is. Paul greeted everyone with grace and peace because he understood our ongoing need for both of them. He understood our ongoing need for grace and peace. He was writing to the believers, yet he wished them more grace, and he wished them more peace. And I think he gave each congregation grace and peace because they were his to give. He was able to give this out. Jesus says this in Luke 10. He instructed the original 12. He said, whatever house you enter, let your first words be peace to this house. Let your first words be peace to this house. See, Jesus had something in mind more than just mere words. He observed that a greeting of peace could rest on the people in a house. And then if peace was in that house, what happened to the people that came into it? It would then infuse them and they'd be able to leave with grace and peace. It was a two-way thing. You could give each other grace and peace. He instructed them to give something as if it was real, as if it was tangible. Just walk into someone's house and give them grace. Give them peace. <clears throat> something, something tangible like, like a loaf of bread. Who doesn't love a fresh-baked loaf of bread, right? Imagine going to someone's house and treating it like something. You know this family loves this. I know that if I do something wrong at home, and it's all the time, guys, if, if I get in the doghouse, if I come home with a fresh-baked loaf of bread, I'm immediately back in my wife's good graces. It is something that is loved. And she's usually rightfully upset with me with whatever I've done. But I know that this, this is a, a good thing to get back in. Now, a fresh loaf of bread is amazing. It's instant redemption. I know scripture says man shall not live on bread alone, but man, it helps. It gets us there, right? But decades later, years later after Jesus says this, he says, greet every house with peace. Paul, a follower of Jesus, wrote to the churches scattered across the land, and his first words are grace and peace. Tangible things he wants the people to spread to the houses. It's how he started every letter. He took the words directly from the man that he was persecuting. He was hunting people down for following Jesus, literally killing them, and does a total 180 and starts using the very words of Jesus to people's houses instead. That is a man who saw grace, who saw a whole lot of truth on that road to Damascus when God knocked him on his bottom. He experienced the truth, but then he experienced the grace and the peace that was able to flood his life. In the midst of the turmoil, can you imagine Paul writing grace and peace to you as he's in chains, as he's in prison? He's still saying peace. It's a phenomenal mindset to be in. His heart is drastically changed, and it's incredible to see. He possessed grace and peace. Apparently, he had so much of it that even in his turmoil, he knew he could give it away. He could encourage people to take it. In many cases, he, wrote to the, he was the founder of these churches that he wrote to. He wrote to encourage what was good in these churches and to offer correction for whatever was needed. And I just said it, guys. I just said the C word in church. Correction. Who loves correction? No hands. There we go. That's what we're looking for. Some people may even have PTSD when you go to school, and it's like, all right, give your test to your neighbors, turn your test in. It's time to correct your papers. Some people's hearts drop in that moment, right? It's like, oh, gosh, here it comes. You start seeing that red pen fly across your paper. And correction time usually can be a time where you can say, look, I know it, or, oh, man, I am so messed up right now. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. That was usually me in math. I had no idea what's going on. When the answer stopped being a solid number, I was lost all the time. 
We typically don't look forward to correction. Correction is painful. Correction is finding out where you're wrong. Oh, another word we don't want to hear, right? Finding out that you're wrong. Nobody likes hearing that. That's why I tell husbands all the time, practice saying the words, I'm wrong. Then at least you're saying it to yourself. Telling your wife, if you say it to your wife, then she doesn't get to throw it at you, right? I'm wrong. I got it. Knowing that we're wrong is not something we look forward to. People don't often say, I'm wrong. Correct me. It's not something we jump out and say, but it makes me, it made me think of this. How often do we look upon the correction of God and teaching as the sources of grace and peace of God? How often do we look at his correction as a source of grace and peace? When we think about it, when we think about it, God's grace and God's peace, these should be things that we prize above all else. Many of Paul's churches faced persecution from the outside, and some had many disagreements, strong ones from the inside. All of them, every single one of them, needed grace. They needed truth. They needed peace. The church then needed grace and peace. The church today needs grace and peace. Our neighbors need grace and peace. Our families need grace and peace. But it's not just going to show up randomly. It doesn't just randomly happen. Now you have grace and peace. We receive it from God. We, we ask for it. We, we receive it from each other. God who loves us so much, he pours out an abundance of it to us, so much that we have the ability to go to someone else's, someone else's home, someone else's small group, and say, I'm going to now bring with me to give out grace and peace because God has given me so much. It's not just for me. I get to spread this where I go. He pours out an abundance so that we can pass it out, and we desperately need it, especially now. They were so important that Paul presented these as gifts up front. Before he said anything, this is what he gave, grace and peace. He wanted people to experience it. And when it was necessary, he brought these powerful words of reproof. And from our perspective, centuries later, we understand that each letter was the word of God, then and now. To those people who first heard the words of Paul read aloud in a congregation, they have a choice now. Do they get to know this is coming from a man who is literally being the voice of God for right now? Or is it just another lecture? Is it just another lecture? In Luke 10, it talks about people who could receive the words or walk away from them. I want to be the person, I want to be a church that knows when someone comes in and says, we give me grace and peace, we get to latch that on because I know God wants that for us. He wants that for us, knowing that in that grace and peace, there's going to be truth. Maybe rocky, maybe hard, but we embrace how they come together we get to know we have that peace of God that comes with it. How often does God's grace uh, or peace appear to us in ways that we may not even expect it to or may not recognize, right? We ask ourselves, do we receive the words of loved ones in our lives as grace? Do we receive the words of loved ones maybe as God's grace in our lives? Do we ever consider the instruction of people that may be in an authoritative position over us, do we ever receive those words as maybe a source of God's grace and truth? I know we have to look at the source, but, but maybe if they're in a position of authority over us, maybe God has them in authority over you, and their words are for correction. But it's also something that's going to literally bring you the grace and peace of God. Paul's words were not only about receiving. His greetings were examples about what we get to give. They're about what we get to give. Have we received ever in your life some measure of grace? Have you ever in your life received some measure of peace? Jesus had straightforward instructions to his followers, Matthew 10, 8. If, you free, if freely you've received, therefore freely give. Freely you've received, therefore freely give. And if we don't receive grace from God, then it's going to be really hard to give that grace, right? But, but don't worry. Grace is not something you'll ever run out of because God never runs out of enough grace for you. 
Never in your life will you hit that point where you say, you know what, this is just a tangible thing and I have definitely used up everything God has for me by this point. Praise God that's not the case because I'd have been done a long time ago. But God has so much grace that we are the ability to share it with people we come across and God can keep filling and keep filling and keep filling. You need more truth. God can give you an abundance of truth and you'll be able to give truth to your people and they'll say, man, that sounds harsh, but then you do it with grace and peace and God says, let me just pour this into you. And I get to watch you pour it out into others. It's a beautiful relationship. Romans 8.1, Paul says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These are not words he exclaimed exclusively for himself. He was speaking over all those who were listening to his letter. There's no condemnation. Jesus gives us so much grace. If God has given us peace in any area of our lives, we can give peace. One disciple may have learned the secret of contentment with respect to financial matters. Maybe another learned how to live, uh, how to place everyday fears at the feet of Jesus. Do we ever consider that the peace we've received in our walk with God might be the very thing that we get to teach others? God's peace can come over you totally different than it comes over somebody else, but that means you have something new to offer to this place. You have something new to offer to your friends. Something God has worked on you, you now get to share and distribute with others. I don't think God gives us blessings to keep to ourselves. I think he blesses us so that we can keep blessing others. He gives us a a peace so that we can give peace to others. And our our everyday lives now, I don't think, are very different than the times which Paul wrote the letters. There was persecution. I mean, he faced much harsher religious persecution. But he faced oppression. We can face depression. They faced unjustness. We face unjustness. And he was still able to distribute those things. The world desperately needs grace and peace. Many of us today, maybe you're here today and you're just in turmoil. Like you've, you, you've come and, and you've, maybe you, you've talked to someone or maybe you haven't talked to anybody, but in your life right now, there's something going on that has just rocked you to the point where, where you, you've stood before God and you said, God, I don't know. I just don't know what I can do. What, what's happening in my family right now? What's happening at work right now? What's happening to me right now? I can't do it. I can't face it. I'm going to be overrun. And you start saying things like, man, if I just would have done this or, or I just should have done this. God, what if I did this instead? Well, I want to encourage you right now that God isn't concerned with your what if I would have or should I have or if I have. He's concerned with where you are right now and what you're going to do right now. And how he can look at you and say, you, I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my truth. I'm going to give you my peace. And we are going to go for this. We are going to make it right. Because, man, God looks at our problems and our trials. And he says, hey, you know what? We're going to go to war. And you can be at peace because I won this war. I already won this. No matter what you're going through, God says, I've got it. We look at our lives as sometimes we can, you know, you can, you can say, you know, here's the world. And here you are, you know, circling the world, circling you. But, but in all reality... We are just, we, we feel like a small part to play, but to God, we're everything. You are everything. Your life, your joy, your, your, your ability to work with him, that's everything. Don't ever think that whatever you're facing right now is going to knock you on your butt to the point where you can't stand up and say, with God, we've got this. God's grace and peace can come over you. So whatever you're going through, whatever in your life right now has knocked you on your butt, has rocked your world this week, last week, last month, last year, whatever it is, know that the peace of God can overwhelm you in the most amazing way. And you can have that peace knowing that God looks at your problem and says, I've already got this. I've already got this. He's claimed victory on your war. Grace is abundant and free. It is the deal of a lifetime. It's actually the deal of eternity when you think about it, right? When we understand God's grace for what it is, we all want in. I mean, if you really start to understand what this is, who doesn't want God's grace? 
I can't think of anyone who looks at the truth of their life and says, God's grace, nah, got this. It's something that we, we all want in on, but yet there's obstacles that we come across, right? Even more startling, I think some of these obstacles are things that we put in our lives. We become opponents to grace. And in order to bring grace and peace, we need to examine ourselves in a couple areas. Our conflicts with grace are like storm fronts in our hearts. The things that we can start looking up. And sometimes we can make a problem. I'm not saying all problems aren't big. There are some things that come that are really big. But sometimes we can take a small thing and turn it into this massive storm. And we just have to say, all right, God, listen to God say, just calm down. We've got this. We've got this. And even the big ones, he can say the same thing. But there are a couple examples of obstacles to grace, and I wonder if, if any of these apply to any of us today. I know that I've dealt with these before as well. One is bitterness. An obstacle to understanding grace and peace is bitterness. Hebrews twelve fifteen says, See to it that no one fa- uh, fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Bitterness is an obstacle to grace. A big obstacle to grace. The wounded heart draws inward, and it even avoids grace itself. It says, I want to be alone. Alone in my pain. Alone in my sorrow. But but this aloneness really is an illusion. You're really not alone, because what you do inwardly does go outwardly. This passage from Hebrews warns us that apart from the grace of God, our bitterness and unsettled scores seep into those people around us. Our bitterness can start to defile other people. It can start to change other people's attitudes, other people's hearts. We need grace to endure suffering even in everyday slights of our lives. In our pain, when we refuse grace, we defile people. All the while, we think we're suffering in silence and solitude, unaware of the hurt that we're spreading to other people. When one body, when one member of the body suffers, you know what scripture says? We all suffer. When someone's hurting, we get to hurt with them. Don't ever feel like you have to suffer alone. If, if I was talking, when I was talking about problems, if, if something came into your mind that I'm dealing with this and you haven't told anybody about it or talked with anybody and asked someone to partner with you to get through it, you're missing out on a huge, one of the most amazing parts of the equation because God brought us here together to bear with one another, to say this person can give you grace, this person can give you truth, this person can give you peace, or, uh, peace. and maybe if one person can give you all three, but when you surround yourself with people that can give those things out the way Paul talks about it, man, you'll start to be able to see your problem the way God sees it. All right. We can overcome this. God overcame this. Let's do it together. And now you're not alone anymore. Being alone can make it hurt so bad. But when you get other people, not just to hurt with you, but to rejoice with you when they see God working with you and working, overcoming that problem, it makes grace, peace, and joy so real and truth so real in your life. Don't let bitterness hold on to your heart. Share your problems and your trials with each other. Share it with God. Bring people alongside you to get you through it. Another is scarcity. Scarcity is, is a, I think, a terrible word, a really, really bad word. I think my fear to recognize that grace could be a zero-sum game, somehow my grace comes prepackaged in fixed amounts, that can be a hole that we get into that we need to get out of. And like I said, God's grace comes in abundance. Sometimes you can have your mind get to inform your heart that his mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. It comes in limitless supplies. I don't, you, know, you don't have to be the, the frightened sparrow that thinks, i got to breathe so fast because I'm going to consume all the air around me and there's not going to be left for anybody else, right? Whatever grace I find, i got to keep it for myself. Oh, God, give me grace, not mine, or not yours. It's mine. Keep it to me. i, I got my problems. This is for me. Stay out. There's enough grace for us. There, there's an abundance of grace, more than we know what to do with, so much more that we get the ability to give it out. If God covers the flowers in the field, 
If he feeds the birds in the air, how much more do you think he's going to feed and care and love for you? How much more do you think he's going to provide and give for you the life-giving freedom of grace? Here's the supply of heaven. When I share the grace I've received, when I discover the source of all grace, I discover the spirit who is without limit. And that's amazing. Part of the good news is that there's more grace. There's more grace for today. There's more grace than tomorrow. Grace is far more than forgiveness. God wants to provide grace every single day. Grace for growth, grace to sustain. It represents more than our needs. And they are the need, like Paul says, of everyone that we meet. We get to give these out to people. We get to instill grace and peace in others. I, was, uh, I got to go see Toby Mac on Monday, and it was a fun show. I put um, Avery just dancing and singing her heart out on my social media, and that just made the show that much better for me. But uh, Toby Mac said something in his show. He said, I realized that every conversation I have, I have the ability to inspire and show Jesus to someone or take something away. Every conversation. He even went on to say, even when he was just ordering a cup of coffee, is that conversation when he orders his drink going to speak life, going to speak joy, going to speak grace and peace into someone's life? Or is it just going to be something where I'm consuming from you? I love, I love that we have the ability with every single conversation, every interaction, no matter how brief it may be, we get to spread grace to somebody. We get to spread truth. We get to spread peace to somebody. Even if it's two words, someone can leave going, there's something about that guy. There's something about that girl because they saw and they experienced peace flowing out of you because God gave you so much, you get to give it to others. And finally, we need to understand there is a place to cultivate grace, peace, and truth. There's a place we have to cultivate this. We have a community of grace. We have a community of grace. And when I say community, I mean the church. We have this great community. We have this great church where we get to practice grace. The same father who adopted us into his family intends that we get to to live together. We get to do life together as a family. And I love this. Coming from a huge family, um, I've said before, I'm number seven of 15 kids. Huge family, and I love it. But I I love people. I love knowing that at home I could go to my brothers and sisters and, and they would be there for me. At church, we get to come here and we get to look out and say, these are all people that I get to do life with. Not just a Sunday morning thing. I get to do life with these people. We have a community where we can show grace to each other. Unfortunately, in, in the world today, uh, the, the church can, and I mean the, not just this, not this church, but the church in general, has caused so many divisions over the course of time. I think estimated there are over 25,000 Christian denominations worldwide. That's crazy to me. 25,000 denominations and sometimes it can be really hard to grow in grace when, when sometimes we start treating church like, like a restaurant. And I know I talked about that a number of weeks ago. If we come to a church saying, well, I like this, but not this. I like this, but not this. This church really has the menu I like. Instead of saying, I'm a broken person going to a broken church. No church has it all the way right, but that's great because we're all broken people. <laughs> and we all get to come together and share grace with each other. You ask, it's an old story, you ask any person in a church that's been going there for a while and you can hear stories about church drama. You can hear stories about church splits, church fights, church arguments, things where things blew up and did not work. But it doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 11. He says this, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
Each of you should use whatever gift you have to receive, received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. Really changes how you start talking right there, doesn't it? If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, you may have missed it because it's easy to miss the word grace in this passage. It's right there in the middle. Right in the middle, the word grace. God wants to show his grace through the love, through the hospitality, through the encouragement, through the service of the community in our faith. And we extend grace to others precisely because we have received this grace from God. Amongst our families at home, Amongst the family of God, we are called to be caretakers of grace. Too often, we can become merely consumers. We can come in and say, I need, I need, I need, and forget that you're going to get, you're going to get, you're going to get, but then you get to give, and you get to give. And as you give, you see God giving more and more and more. Not only does grace grow in the community we call church, it can grow in the most unlikely places of the church. It can grow amongst our shortcomings. It grows when we mess up. It grows in our failings. If everyone that came to church had his or her act 100% together, that'd be amazing, right? But that doesn't exist. That church does not exist. Why would there be a need to extend grace? But Paul even knew this as he was writing his letters. He had to extend it because not every church has it. No church is perfect. Church is full of broken people. And that is a-okay. I am up here before you today, a broken person who needs God's grace. I don't have it all together. My wife does, separate story. But I don't have it all together. I know that I need God's grace. And we step towards grace, we receive it in the way we speak and act towards others. Through this, we get to show and receive this incredible peace that comes with it as well. I'd like to invite uh, the worship team back up as we close out this morning together. And as, as they come up, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever thought about grace as stewardship? Have you ever thought about grace as stewardship? And if not, here, here's a good exercise to, to try with it. Try reading the parable of the talents. It's in Matthew 25 and Luke 19. Um, as a teaching about grace, throw grace into this story. The master, and the, you know, to summarize the story, a master leaves. He leaves uh, money with three different servants. Two of the servants are responsible with it. One buries it. He says, I don't want to lose it. So it doesn't invest it in anything. The master comes back and gets really mad at the guy who did nothing. And the two people who invested it and grew their money are rewarded. But look, this is a story of grace. When he returns, he looks to see whether he used the gifts wisely. But we get to see the reward in this. And Matthew's version of the parable, he ends not just with praises to the, the stewards, but he gives them an invitation. He says, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. When we distribute the grace of God, know that that's a stewardship issue. And God can look at you and say, you're distributing, gra- you're distributing grace, you're distributing peace, you're distributing truth. Well done. Well done. Share in my joy now. Share in this. Look at how happy, not just happy, look at the joy that I'm now feeling in their life. You're a part of this. We get to be with each other through grace. Through grace, joy increases, and we could all use more grace, love, peace, and joy. Amen. Would you stand with me? Oh, man. I I honestly feel like we could keep on going about grace, but then you guys would say the Seahawks are going to play. It's time to go. But uh, I love that we serve a God who has an abundance of these things and loves to love us. And I love that we get to serve him every day. Amen. God, I thank you so much for your joy. I thank you for your peace, your truth. God, I thank you for your grace. 
I pray that we don't just tiptoe around the, the shores of grace, God, but we dive in. We know there's so much more than forgiveness, more than just our, our ticket to be with you, God. We get to experience so much of that here, right now. We get to experience others living in that right here, right now. God, we can experience it in the worst times of our lives. I pray for anyone here today, God, who is going through something that has just rocked them. God, I, I pray that as they look on this, God, that in a moment that maybe knocked them to their knees, when they're on their knees, they don't look down, they look up. Because that's where you are. And you're right there reaching down saying, hey, let me pull you back up and let's take this. Let's get this. Let me show you how my peace can overwhelm you right now. God, I pray that we are overwhelmed with your grace, peace, and truth, and we're able to share that with others. We thank you. We love you. And everybody said, amen. amen.